Most of you already know the story of Jonah, or you've heard some version of it if you've ever been in church. But I want to encourage you not to just think about the big parts of the story, the fish or the judgment or the destruction, but I want us to look at some of the smaller details that sometimes we have this tendency to just gloss over. And in order for us to do that, because some of you are already thinking, like, I already know this story. I already know what it's all about. I already know why God did what he did and why Jonah ran. I already know all of that. And if that's where you're at, I want to encourage you to, for a moment, take on a beginner's mind. Pretend for the next 20 minutes to just not know the story. Pretend like you're listening to it for the first time and see if God can speak to us in a fresh way this morning. So let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us fresh eyes to see a new and ancient story. May you help us to see and hear what we need this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So the sermon title I know is called Time Out in the Bulletin, but as I was working on this, I think a better image was the divine storm thrower. This is a story of God. This isn't just a story about Jonah, but rather it's a story of the depths that God will go to so that people would have a knowing relationship with him. So I want to begin the story with Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now just to start off, I want to give you guys some background. When the Bible tells us that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, Jonah was a prophet. Now, there's a difference between a prophet and a priest, right? So we're going to do a little bit of teaching here this morning. A prophet was someone that God would choose, and God would give the prophet a message, and the prophet would then go and give to the people the message. So let's just pretend for a moment, pretend that I am a prophet. God would give me a message, and then I come and tell you what you need to hear or what God is trying to tell you. A priest, on the other hand, if I was a priest, it's I am going on behalf of the people and then praying to God or asking God for forgiveness, right? So there was these two different roles in the Old Testament. There was prophet and priest. Jonah was a prophet, and God was giving Jonah a message. Now, if you are chosen to be a prophet, you don't really have a say in it. And in the ancient times, it was just one of those things where you wouldn't really argue about it. You just did it because you understood that God was calling you to do something great. Now, the name Jonah, and we're getting into this because it'll make a difference at the end. The name Jonah means dove. And when we think of a dove, a dove is like what they call a home-loving bird. A dove will always come back to its home. And some commentators would say that Jonah loved his own tribe more than anyone else, which is why he had a problem with taking this message of redemption to Nineveh. So what they would say is that Jonah wanted God's love and grace and God's approval only for his tribe and his nation, and he didn't want to share that with other people. You see, when the Bible writers write these stories, there's a reason for the, every detail that goes into them. And I think that's why sometimes when we gloss over some of the smaller, what we think are insignificant details, when we pause on them, then it gives us actually a deeper understanding of what God is trying to do here. So Jonah was someone who, ha who, who liked his national pride more than anything else, God sends him a message that he doesn't like, and Jonah runs. So let's keep going. And God said, Go at once to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. 
Now, when we hear the, the city, the name Nineveh, right? We've heard that before, and, you know, but, but here's what it is. Nineveh was a great city. It was wealthy. It had a great military. It was thinking about empire building, trying to exceed and enlarge their territory, right? It was the land of opportunity. People would go to Nineveh because that was the place everyone wanted to go. And what the Bible tells us is that there was some forms of wickedness, whatever it was that was there, it broke God's heart. And so he tells Jonah, go at once. He doesn't tell Jonah, go tomorrow. He doesn't tell Jonah, go when it's convenient for you. He doesn't tell Jonah, put it in your calendar and go three months from now. God says, go at once. I think the message for us in this short little phrase is that sometimes God is calling you to do something, but he's not telling you to do it when it's at your own convenience, but rather do it when God calls you because the time is ripe. It is the opportune time to do it when you hear God telling you. How many of you have, and I don't even have to raise your hand, have ever had an idea, and it's a really great idea, and you know that it will help and benefit other people, right? This happens to me all the time at night, right? Right before I go to bed, I have all of these really great ideas. And in the morning, they don't seem as great. Has that ever happened to you? Like, we're going to do this at the church, and we're going to do this, and we're going to have this ministry, and it's going to be awesome. And then something somehow in the morning, I think it's not going to be that great of an idea. And so in some ways, God says, if, if the idea arises, if I am calling you to do something, do it now. So when God calls Jonah, he says, go at once. Because God knows that the longer we wait to do the thing he is calling us to do, the more opportunities we will have to make excuses for why we can't do what God is calling us to do. The more time we wait, the more excuses will build up, and you will miss out on the life that God is creating for you. But Jonah set out to flee from Tarshish from the presence of God. Now, as we saw in the video, Tarshish was all the way in the opposite end of where Nineveh was. We don't really know that much about why he would choose Tarshish other than it was as far away as he could think of going. He just didn't want to do what God was calling him to do. But here's what's important. We think that when it says Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish, we make a big deal about this place, Tarshish, which we know nothing really about. But we end up excluding the second half of this verse that says what? He went there to flee from the presence of the Lord. You see, Tarshish is really more symbolic than anything else. We flee to Tarshish every time we try to avoid and ignore the voice and the will of God in our lives. Anytime we try to live outside of the divine order, we are fleeing to Tarshish. The ironic thing about it is that you and I are the ones that miss out on living the life that God has created for us when we flee to these symbolic Tarshishes. Tarshishes. And there are all sorts of things. Sometimes we pour ourselves into our work so much and we're neglecting what God is calling us to do. Sometimes we pour ourselves so much in our relationships that it gets in the way of what God is asking us to do. Sometimes we go and we look for distractions so much, things to just entertain us or stimulate us, and we live outside of God's divine order. So you see, we like to look at Jonah and say, Jonah, you should have known better. But the thing is, is that it, we do it too. 
What's scary and what's dangerous is that we do it in the most subtle kinds of ways. I mean, we live in a world, quite literally, where there is a distraction for everything. All right, just look at your cell phone. I mean, how many times have you, have you ever noticed yourself and you're on your cell phone all day long and you don't really know what you looked at? Or is that just me? That might just be me. Constantly distracted. What's funny is that we don't realize that sometimes those distractions are actually robbing us from living the most abundant kind of life. So Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, I'm going to jump forward to two chapters in the story so we know what's going on. This is the message that God has for Jonah to tell the Ninevites. Jonah began to walk into the city going a day's walk. The Bible tells us, I don't know if the Bible tells us, but what I was reading says that Nineveh was, would have taken him three days' journey to walk all the way across. So he would have been, so it's a pretty big place. So it says that he goes for one day's walk, so one-third of the city, and he cried out, 40 days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And he goes on to say, if you repent, then God will restore everything to you. If you repent, if you change your ways, if you submit to God, then you will not be destroyed. Now, here's what's interesting about this. 40 days. If you think about the stories we've heard in the Bible, Jesus was in the wilderness how many days? Yeah. The Israelites, after they were rescued from Egypt, how many years were they in the desert? How many days was Moses up on the mountain talking to the Lord? The number 40 in Scripture is highly symbolic. The 40 days in Scripture is a symbolic time, or even a real time, rather, for people to really hunker down and think about what it is that's in their life that needs to die in order to submit to God in a more full way. So when we do our Easter season, our resurrection season, we'll sometimes spend 40 days or, or about four or five weeks on sermons trying to get us prepared to lead us to what the death and the resurrection of Jesus means. And you often, and you will always hear me say, there are things in all of our lives that we need to put to death that are getting in the way of living in harmony and in sync with God. There are always things in our lives, and they're different for all of us. And so 40 days is what God gives Nineveh, because 40 days is this example or, or kind of the template or the rubric that God uses to try to let people have that time. It's, it's almost like a time out. By the way, my favorite one, um, props to the parent of makes the kids stand on the wall with the, the paper on there. <laughs> when I have kids, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Just for fun. <laughs> I grew up in the 80s. We got hit with belts, so timeouts are okay. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, man. So Tarshish was symbolic. Can I just say, we used to tell, like, when we found out about Child Protective Services, I'd be like, we're going to tell on you. And my parents would be like, fine. <laughs> they didn't beat us, okay? It was just, that was out of love, I keep telling myself. Okay. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. Now, with the, so there's a lot of stuff that is lost on us when we read this passage. So God hurls a divine storm. Jonah is on this ship. He's running away from the presence of God to some place called Tarshish. 
and God, the divine storm thrower, hurls a storm at this ship. Now, what we don't realize in the English is that that last part that says that the ship threatened to break up, the, the writer of this book actually gave the ship human type of qualities, like it was going to break itself up because it was too much of a storm for the ship to handle. So it was such a horribly bad storm that they, you know, the, the ship was given, like, you know, it was personification, right? Is that the right word? Where inanimate objects become somehow animate. It was so bad that the ship itself was going to break itself up. It gets better. We're going to read here for a second. Then the mariners were afraid, or the sailors, and each cried to his God, they threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it up for them. All right, so here's what's happening. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship, had laid down, and was fast asleep. Talk about someone who just, like, doesn't get it, right? He's already fleeing from God. Like, if you're fleeing from God, wouldn't you be a little bit anxious? Wouldn't you be, like, a little bit worried? No, this guy was so, had lost all sense that he was down sleeping in the hold of the ship while there was a storm. The captain came and said to him, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps that God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. The sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots so that we may know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. Now, I want to stop here for a second. In the ancient world and biblical worldview, when you wanted to know whose fault something was, or when you wanted to know who was in charge, not in charge, but like God's choice, you would always cast lots. Basically, who gets the shortest like straw, right? And so when we think of it in 2015, we're thinking, well, that's just going to be luck of the draw. You know, is that really the way that you know whose fault it was? But we read in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33. He says, when the lot is cast, the lot is cast into the lap. So when you're casting lots, right, when you're drawing a straw, um, one of you is going to get it. And so he said, but the decision is the Lord's alone. So when the Bible talks about casting lots or drawing straws to see whose fault it was or, or whose turn it is to do the next thing, it's not just coincidence, but it's part of God's divine order. God uses those means to show who is at fault or who will go. So when the sailors come and say, let us draw lots so we may know who this calamity came upon us, um, I can just imagine what Jonah was thinking. And it's not like he could offer a prayer like, God, not me, not me, not me, right? Because it was him. He knew it was his fault. So when they cast lots, the lot fell on Jonah. It was like that inevitable walk off the plank. He knew it was coming. We've all been there. <laughs> We've all been there where it's going to come down to someone and we know it's going to be us. So once they found this out, we're going to read part of the story now. They said to him, tell us, why has this calamity come upon us? What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? The very thing that Jonah was trying to run away from was the very thing that was now confronting him in the midst of the storm. That is our story. That's your story. When you try to run away from things, you can try to run, and you may run for as long as possible, and you may be able to ignore things, but ultimately, you will have to face the facts. You can run, and you can hide, but ultimately, everything will come back up. And so he replies, I am a Hebrew, 
I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. In the questions that they're asking him, they are now forcing him to confess of who this God is, the God he was trying to run away from. This is like, I don't know if it's just me, but this is funny. I mean, it's not funny for Jonah because what's about to happen, but it's funny as we read this in 2015, like the Bible is written in such a way that it's almost like it's so ironic that we have to laugh because they force him to deal with who he is. And the men, who were even more afraid now, said to him, what is this that you have done? Why have you done it? This echoes the words when God comes in the Garden of Eden and asks Adam, what have you done? There is no accusation. It's just asking the question, what have you done? This is our story. And we continue. For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. Okay, so they're having this conversation while they're about to like, be shipwrecked. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Let me just pause here for a second. The actions of Jonah ended up affecting a whole group of other people. So here's a practical point. Sometimes, oftentimes, maybe always, the decisions you make about God will affect the people in your boat. And here's what's crazy about that. I don't know if that's the right word. Here's what's interesting about that. This was not the ship captain's storm. This was not the crew member's storm. They just happened to be bystanders in a bigger picture of what God was doing, and it was because one man made decisions, Jonah, to flee from the, God, from the will of God. He decided to disobey God, and so he goes, and now he's affecting a whole group of other people, and it's not just affecting them like a little bit. It's like their life is now threatened. And so he says, fine, pick me up, throw me overboard. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring the ship back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against us. So they still didn't want to do the very thing they had to. And then they cried out to the Lord, Please, O Lord, which is funny, these guys don't believe in God, and now they're praying to this God. Please, O Lord, we pray, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not make us guilty of innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, they threw him in the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And we're going to pause there for a second. All of this story, all of these details, everything was going in a certain direction. And what we find in this story is that for Jonah, just like it is for you, you may try to do everything that you can to get your own way. You may always try to chart your own course, but at least in the story of Jonah, what we find is there was nowhere that he could run and nowhere that he could hide that God couldn't get to. 
because God had a divine plan for Jonah, not just for Jonah, but for an entire city of people. And the decisions of one person was trying to thwart all of that. What we find here is this theological term that we call the sovereignty of God. It's the idea that God's hand is working in the world in such a way that things are going to end up happening. And I guess I would put it this way. In the end, God wins. And how exactly that all happens, we're not fully sure. Right? Because there is this argument between, well, if God is in control, then do I have free will? And if I have free will, is God still in control? Right? And so there is this debate, and this debate can rage even within this church, I'm sure. And the best that I could say for now, and we're going to get to this probably in five weeks, we're going to be doing a sermon on does God's, is God in control or are we in control? But I'll suffice it to say here that yes, God is in control, and yes, you have free will. And somehow, some way, God's mysterious power and his grace and his will and his mercy always win out. So Jonah tried to run, and you can try to run and run and run, but if God is pursuing you, he will eventually put you on the course that is going to lead toward the life that God wants for you to live. The story of Jonah as we get here is that all Jonah had to do was follow what God was asking him to do. What we're going to find out next week is that after we're going to look at what that means that God had to send a fish to swallow up Jonah. And I know that's like really hard for us to understand, right? And I, I know I think I saw on the History Channel something about how that could actually happen. But the point is we don't need to know the science or whatever behind it. The truth is, is that God often forces us to spend time in this confined space, not a, not a whale, but like in, in times of uncertainty and discomfort, because it is in those moments that we come to the realization of the bigger picture of what God has planned for you. So if you join us next week, we are going to look at what, the, what it means that God gives us a time out. And we're going to look at how we can make the most out of that time so that we don't make the same mistake that Jonah made. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly God, we, um, we're thankful for big fish. <laughs> we're thankful that you want what's best for us even more than we want. And we're thankful that in your mercy and in your grace, you help get us from point A to point B to point C. And so we pray that we would not continue to flee to the symbolic Tarshishes in our life, but that we would surrender and submit to you so that we would live the life you've created for us to live. In the name of Jesus, we pray.